1: Learn more at marines.com.
0: So it's uh, all for play for still? I think so, do you want to bet against us?
1: Welcome to Friend of Love, Paul McGrath Podcast, and I'm back again. This is Neil Dunworth, your host. Don't have my regular guest today with me, Paddy, and, um, you know, Paddy's still on holidays. He's still sunning himself. Well, I loosely say sunning himself, because if you were in Ireland at the moment, you'd you'd struggle to see any sun. It's like pea soup out there today. It's lashing rain. But uh, never fear. I do have a ray of sunshine himself. I have a uh, wonderful James Hendicott with me today. James is a freelance journalist. He's worked with RTE, uh, Dublin Gazette, the Irish Independent, and even with Australian news channels and News 9 as well. And uh, he's also a published author too. And I'm delighted to have James uh, on the podcast with me today to do a little season review that he wrote on his, on his uh, webpage called hendicottwriting.com on com. I would uh, implore you all to go and have a quick look at this. It's it's a really, really good season review. And as I said, I'm delighted to have James with me today. So how are you doing today, James?
0: I'm all right now. Yeah, I can't complain. We stayed up, didn't we? So no <laughs> argument from me.
1: <laughs> exactly. I should have prefaced this with the fact that James is a lifelong Aston Villa fan. Um, he's living here in, in Ireland at the moment. And, uh, and as I say, he is a lifelong Aston Villa fan. He's wearing a wonderful Macron Irish Lions Supporters Club, the Cure Leukemia jersey. It's a real banger of a jersey there. He's got it on at the moment. So he dressed for the occasion for the for the podcast as well. And uh, I like that too. James, do you want to give us a little kind of a rundown on, on your, your Aston Villa obsession, how it started, you or maybe a little uh, how you ended up in Ireland, I suppose as well, because that's always an interesting story.
0: Sure, yeah, the the villa thing is um my my family large parts of my family come from Birmingham and well I grew up in the south and down near Southampton. Um the Birmingham connection was always there. And uh I started going up to games when I was about probably nine or ten. Uh had a season ticket throughout my student years, so four or five years stood on the hole. Um and then I moved to South Korea to teach English. Um uh, obviously it's harder to follow Villa from there It's a 3 or 4 in the morning job for most games mm. And uh, I met my wife there uh, She's from Mayo And uh, ah. I ended up back in England So a bit of a strange kind of weaving tale But that's the way it went
1: Exactly I, And the reason I'm not in Limerick anymore And I'm up the west coast in Galway here Is because Same as you For the love of a beautiful woman as well So uh, yeah it's, uh, <laughs> You have to you got to do what you got to do <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> So as I mentioned, I've got James on today. Um, As I say, he is a... uh he is—he's a he's a journalist, and he's done some really, really great work with some some uh, big publications, as I said. But James wrote a season review on his uh, on his page Hendicottwriting.com. and as I mentioned previously, I'd employ you all to give it a visit, give it a click, and read down through because it, it is—it's—it's it's quite a good um, review of, of the mad mad season that we had. And uh, I just said I'd get James on to kind of talk us through it because there was some really really salient points in it and, and pieces that I really enjoyed in it, even from the very opening paragraph when he mentions the. He watched the Everton game in Munich on now TV, and you know from that the high points of that number one, obviously being able to leave the country. We can't do that anymore, <laughs> you know. Uh, from there, I suppose, really all the way through to the uncertainty of being seven points behind United with three games to play, uh, four games to play, it, it, it was a roller coaster season. And James, what? Why? I suppose. What were your kind of feelings, overarching feelings on the, on the season and how it went itself? We'll, we'll get into the weeds on positional breakdowns in a moment as well, but just your overarching feeling on the season. What was your, What's your, your takeaways from, it, um, from the season that well, just went?
0: I, I think it's been a weird one because if we conceded that late goal to West Ham, there's no doubt it would be considered a bad season. But, I mean, we came up fifth in the championship. Uh, if you look at the team that came up, I mean, there's an argument that that was as good a team as the one that played in the in the Premier League this year, especially once you factor in Tammy Abraham. And uh, the team that we put out was, you know, it was championship level. It was upper end of the championship level, but let's not kid ourselves. Aside from Jack Grealish and John McGinn, this is not a vintage Villa side. And uh, I'd have taken 17th at the start of the season. The fact that we did it the way we did made it totally euphoric, of course. But I mean, on balance by by one goal at the end against West Ham, I'd say it was a reasonable season. I'll take it. Yeah. That's
1: kind of my views on it as well. I'm, I'm an overly optimistic person by nature. Um, to my detriment, I think a lot of time um, I have, I follow, you can see it behind me. I follow the Cleveland Browns in the NFL. Jesus, that is optimistic. For a lot of years, I, I'm, I'm from Limerick. I followed Limerick GAA, Limerick in Limerick Football. That was optimistic up until 2018. And, um, you know, and then obviously following Aston Villa, even mm-hmm. though there's a huge following in, in Ireland, I think the, one of the big questions is, do you still follow Aston Villa? You know, like when we were in the championship, people were saying that as if I could just turn it off, like it was a tap. Because I didn't follow Liverpool or United, and and you know, God forbid, you said to a Liverpool fan ten years ago, "Do you really still follow Liverpool?" You know, they haven't won anything in ages. You'd actually yeah. be kicked out of whatever pub you were in because there'd be so many people trying to lynch you. So I, I think, I think from that point of view, you know, you make some, you you, you make some kind of kind of good points in the fact that maybe I was definitely, I, I certainly was one of those people that was overly optimistic at the start of the season. Um, I, tried, I tempered my, opti- my optimism, I think, throughout the season, but I always felt that would stay, stay up. But when you look back at it in the cold lighted day, and we've done a season review already, myself and Paddy, but it's always good to review these again after the dust has settled so that you aren't looking at it through euphoric glasses or you aren't looking at it through, uh, you know, through, through a different kind of lens. So when the dust settles and that's, uh, that's actually a good point in it that, when you look back at it, really, because of the chemistry that we had in our team, didn't really have any chemistry, and it was an upper end, upper end championship uh, squad. Um, and, and and looking at the squad itself, James, looking at the squad itself, you know, you did a very very good positional breakdown and rated the squad. And, and, and to be honest with you, there's a lot of. Five out of tens, three out of tens and stuff like that in there. And let's start with the defense. Do you wanna to chat to us about what your what your views on the defense was? I suppose really that encapsulates goalkeepers as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think Heaton was a major loss early on, we have to say. I mean, I, I don't really rate Nealan particularly highly as a, a goalkeeper. I think he's okay, but uh he flaps at a lot of things in the air. Um Rayner was definitely a better option in my opinion once he came in. Uh It'll be great to have Heaton back next year, but you know, going across the back four, I mean, apart from Mings, or have any of those players played particularly well over the course of a season? I mean, there's been a lot of individual mistakes. Um, I think I gave them a five out of 10 in the review, but that was uh, based off the fact that they really sorted themselves out there at the end, and we've got to give them credit for that. I mean, the last five, six, seven games, the defence really turned up, but... The amount of individual mistakes before that is substantial, and uh, that concerns me. And you've got to ask yourself, I think a lot of Villa fans have been asking themselves, what's the deal with John Terry? You know, I mean, you've got a fantastically good centre-back there, legendary centre-back. I'm sure some of us have our issues with him, but we we won't go down that road. But uh, how can he not sort out a back four, which on paper is fairly decent, into something more cohesive than what it was for the first 30 games of the season? It's a fair question, I think.
1: I, I think it is. And actually, I'm going to kind of stick on the John Terry point because he's been rumored to be in for the Bristol City job. He's been rumored to be in for the Bournemouth job. Yeah. You know, taking the Villa and the Claret and Blue glasses off. Obviously, great defender in his time. Is he ready for this? Or is this kind of these clubs looking at what maybe Frank Lampard has done, what Steven Gerrard has done up at Rangers and thinking, yeah, we'll get this big personality in. Because I don't think anybody is... Ter- terribly impressed with anything he's done at villa
0: yeah i mean you've got to assume what he's doing is working around the defence um it's just just common sense i mean so you can only judge him on the defence really can't you and i mean if you can give him credit for those last few games but aside from that has he done anything we're particularly impressed with at villa i, I can't say i've noticed anything myself
1: no, and, and I suppose really that for me, he kind of falls, he could be doing fantastic things, but the reason that I would have questions about it and need to ask what's he actually doing there is that we've got a centre-half and Dean Smith in there already. We've got a defensive player in Richard O'Keefe, so we don't really seem to have that attacking-minded player. So maybe he's not getting the credit because we know that there's other defensive minds in there as well, and, and maybe we're being too harsh on him. But uh, look, as I say, um, I'm I'm still happy that he's here. Uh, I'm happy he's part of the backroom team he works well with Dean Smith there doesn't seem to be any animosity there he also do you know what we need to it it must be difficult for him to have to take that back seat as well being the guy who's been pushed out in front of the camera since an early age to be that leader he's perf- he's been a better number 2 from that point of view of um, I suppose, being subordinate than Roy Keane was, um, yep. you know, and then a lot of, of like, even, even when we had Ray Wilkins, you know, Ray Wilkins was pushed out ahead of uh, of, of Sherwood, I think it was an awful lot as well. So, you know, uh, he hasn't allowed his elevated celebrity status over shine Dean Smith, because uh, which I think is good. And I think it's been good for the club as well, because Dean yep. Smith is the, is the reason that we're there, you know, so that's.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think overall the best thing you can say about the defense is if it carries on as it finished, then we have to give a lot of credit because it was the difference between going down and staying up at the end there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the less said about before that, the better.
1: <laughs> exactly, and and I'm interested in that article because you have the you give the defense a five out of ten, which I think is probably a fair enough rating considering the amount of goals that we leaked. But you have a three out of ten pre-COVID. Well, <laughs> let's chat about as so a pc and ac you know i think that's what yeah. we what we'll we'll discuss it as an what were your views in the defense then and maybe do you have a particular um favorite back four that you would play out of our stable of players
0: um i think the back four i'd, I'd be forced to play at the moment would be the back four that finished the season um but having said that the only one of them i'm absolutely delighted with is Mings, to be honest um but if you look back to the the pre covid kind of times i think the the primary issue was the uh, the errors, wasn't it? It was people conceding the ball in stupid positions, it was bad passes, it was I think we had two or three occasions where we put the opposition striker through one-on-one one with the goalkeeper off a pass from one of our defenders. Um you just can't be doing that in the Premier League. So I don't know if it's a coaching issue or it's the actual players involved, but that would be the prime worry for me. That said, uh if you'd start, you know, if you if you were rating the defense from let's say Everton onwards, the last few games, you know, you give them an eight or a nine. So, how do you rate that over the course of the season? I mean, you'd have to say the improvement was so substantial, there's potential there for them to build together. Um, if we don't go out and buy three new defenders, I'm not going to be spitting my dummy out about it, you know, but <laughs> we need to see where it goes.
1: Yeah, and and, and I, you know we've all seen this statistic. I think where we were in the bottom five in the league for shots conceded uh, pro, prior to COVID, and then afterwards we were actually up near the top. Uh, and our uh, the amount of shots we were conceding were on par with the amount that Liverpool were conceding pre-COVID as well. And we know that Liverpool had a pretty uh, a pretty st- uh, steadfast defense as well, um, which is interesting. Um, I think that I, I think the defense deserves an awful lot of credit. I think the there is a study that I've been doing. I just can't get around to finishing it. I've got a bit of a block on it at the moment. Um, of starting positions of our fullbacks in conjunction with starting positions of our central midfielders as well. And we will tie into the midfield in a moment. And there is yeah. a stark difference between what the way we defended pre-COVID and the way we defended afterwards. It's not just a case of well we didn't let them get away more shots. The positioning of our of our wing of our um, our fullbacks in conjunction with the positioning of Douglas, Louise, and Connor Oren is actually quite—it's—it's it's quite stark in difference to 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 the the way that we, we set up prior to COVID. Um, and you mentioned your your, your back four. Would it be Freddie Goodbear or were you, like like we've got, we're kind of spoiled for choices in in the fact that we've got the old head and Ahmed and Muhammad at right back, and we've got Freddie Goodbear. Who would your who would be your choice there, or even maybe Ezra Kanza? I don't know if.
0: I mean, I, I don't mind Concert in the middle, which I'm not sure a lot of a lot will agree with, but I think he looked all right. Um, I think I'd probably take Gilbert. I think we need to be looking forward a little bit. Um, I think he's probably got a better delivery on him. I know not, there's a lot of people who disagree with me about that because Elmo's set up a lot of goals, but uh, Gilbert, when he's had the opportunity, has looked really dangerous. Um, I think across the four or five of them who played any role towards the end, the the biggest thing that we did that we really need to carry on with is we weren't afraid to just get rid of the ball there was a lot of trying to play it out the back earlier in the season and uh when it came to desperation time we really can't concede a goal there was the occasional just bang it out the back and be done with it and you know what we need a bit of that we can't play out of a, we can't play out of the back four every time we can't play it down the wings and, and lose the ball and find them um, find we're two on two with the center backs every game it's not going to work um the banging it out to the forwards, I'm alright with that.
1: And I suit. think that that's that's actually a really interesting point because I think the play and once again the positioning of uh, our central midfield three was so open and kind of scattered earlier on in the season that when you were trying to play it out uh, our midfield were taking the ball with our backs turned to where the oncoming like tacklers were coming from they turned around and there was acres of space in front of them and it was like I don't know I don't know what to, I don't have time to run with the ball Um, I just need to get rid of it and it was kind of compounding the mistakes because we were so um we were probably pushed back so far on top of our defenders uh toes that we couldn't get the ball out of out of uh, out of defense the way that we wanted to. So that that is a, a an important point that you mentioned there that sometimes it just it needs to just put the laces through it so that we can regroup again and get back our shape and, and and defend um as as we needed to. And that was something that we maybe saw after COVID. So moving on I suppose well yeah we'll move on because I think there is only one real option that left back in in Matt Target at the moment. Yeah, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, I think Neil Taylor when he came in did a decent job. I don't think he will be um around in, in much of a capacity after after this off season, but we could be completely wrong on that one. We're moving on to midfield. Um midfield I think was it was our marquee area. It's where all our best yeah. players were. Um talk to me about that and what your feelings were on the midfield. You give them an eight out of ten
0: for the season. Yeah, I mean what can you say about Grealish really? What a footballer. Um I can understand people who take the view that he can't continue at Villa because he'll want to win trophies and all this. But I'm hoping we manage somehow to hang on to him, give him whatever salary he wants, keep him in the team. He's critical. But uh, you've got to credit McGinn and Douglas Luiz, especially towards the end of the season. Douglas Luiz really got it together, he was probably our best player for the running, mm-hmm. yeah. in my yeah. view. Um, I mean, it's the one area of the team where if we start next season with exactly the same midfield as we finish this season I will be happy enough I mean it's improvable but not in anything like the level of the rest of the side and in Grealish and McGinn we've got serious attacking threat in Douglas Luis we've got that lad who kind of sits in knocks the ball about protects the back four a little bit fantastic player I really really rate all three of them Um, in terms of the summer signings uh, I I realize obviously that El Garci was there a little bit before that Um, Trezeguet not completely sold on those two yet. Uh, Trezeguet was great at the end of the season, did some real damage, but my God, does he lose the ball a lot. Um, <laughs> they they both have potential. I think they're not quite there yet. But I mean, the other three, uh, what can you say really? Fantastic.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think that we were, by 7 Paddy, I know from time to time, we're pretty hard in on uh, on Trezeguet and Algazi. And I suppose when we think about it, there was no other options there the guys had to play through poor form they had to play through through whatever was going their way because we had Hatta all right but he didn't put up any trees um he didn't do anything really of any note there was henry lansbury didn't Oh dear! <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and like, like, what do we really do? We we obviously finished up the season with Jack pushed out onto the left because we needed to get bodies out there, uh, and yeah. so on. But uh, I think that you know, once again, doing season reviews and the cold light of day gives you a different perspective on things, and you take the emotion out of it and the feelings, and you start working with facts. And the facts really are were that Trezeguet's goal kept goals kept us up. Agassi's goal won us against uh, against uh, Everton, and. Uh, you know, yes, the 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 second Everton game, he didn't put his head where he should have, and and uh, you know, he missed that that glorious opportunity. But maybe it wasn't as bad as as I suppose the the emotion would have led us to believe at that particular time. But one thing I do feel that they may have been was a victim of not having a striker that could allow them to maybe run off him and they had to do all the donkey work themselves and get up and down. And also the fact that there was no viable second option if they were lagging, if they were getting tired early in games. They were each other's option, really, because it was always Elgazioff, Trezegov, on. And people were like, oh, my God, this this substitution is just, it's always the same substitution. And what else would you do? You know, what else do you do?
0: They're not bad footballers. They're just not setting the world alight, I think it's fair to say. And they're next to the rest of the midfield, that really stands out, which is mm-hmm. possibly part of the issue as well. But, I mean, the story of the summer is going to be a, a Grealish does-he-stay-or-does-he-go situation, isn't it? And what I'm really hoping is that the board stand by their, their £80 million, um, because I think a lot of the clubs that are in for him don't value him at that. And he's clearly worth the £80 million for Villa and I absolutely don't think we should sell him for less than that. But uh, well, ideally, I don't think we should sell him at all. But, I mean, if we have to let him go, I'd be wanting the £80 million. But But uh, is he worth £80 million to Man United? Probably not. But he should, that's going to be the story, whether we can kind of stick to our guns, I think, this summer and hold on to it. Yeah, you know, we were-
1: that's that's actually a good point that you make. That you make look the the media will pan Villa for asking for eighty million. Say he isn't worth eighty million. But who are you to decide who is and who isn't worth eighty million? At the end of the day, yeah. Harry, Goy- Harry Maguire certainly wasn't worth eighty million. Yet you never question Man United's ability to purchase a person like that for eighty million. Whereas yeah. he's been he's been a, he's been awful since COVID absolutely awful since covid back, yeah. and, and he wasn't exactly tearing up trees before that so do you pay 80 million for an attacking force like Grealish who to be honest with you they don't have a spot for him in their team I'm, I'm, a, yeah. I'm, I'm 100% sure that they don't have a, a spot for him in their team and um you know they're spending it to flex their muscles and you see that they say well we won't be bullied to buy Jordan Sancho well yeah you also went, are saying you won't be bullied to buy Grealish yeah. for, for the money that they're paying yeah. for him so you can't just turn into Daniel Levy at the moment, you know, just because you feel like it
0: yeah I mean the question that they have to answer I think to satisfy Villa and Villa fans is who are Villa going to bring in for 80 million when Grealish is gone yeah. that's going to leave us with a better team than last year mm-hmm. and it really is that simple and I can't think of anyone I, I think we could reinvest that 80 million and we we'll would be starting with a worse side than we started with last year absent Grealish it's that simple
1: Uh, uh, Yeah so it's it's almost essentially that you've got a lovely house down by a lovely running bubbling brook It's a fantastic house It's got lovely setting nice old wooded trees around it You're perfectly happy with your house it's fantastic And Billy Big Balls comes up to you with a break of cash and goes I want to buy your house for 250 grand And you turn around to him and go are you kidding me if I sold this house for 250 grand, I wouldn't be able to get anything like it for 250 grand again. I'd be down a couple of bedrooms. I wouldn't have the great si- setting that I have here. And he then he goes to you, I'm only willing to pay 250 grand. And you say to him, hold on a minute, I'm not willing to sell. So I don't care what you're willing to pay for it. And then he goes, no, you have to take my 250,000 last offer or I'm walking away. And you're going, fine, that's perfect. And then... <laughs> then, they, then he goes back and, and gets a lot of uh, auctioneer or estate agents to berate you with phone calls saying, I think you should sell for 250000 when you know it's completely the wrong advice. Essentially, that's what United and the media are doing with Aston Villa at the moment. It's like, we want your player. You don't matter. I want it. I'm only willing to pay this. You should do exactly what I say. And Villa are saying, no, I won't get the same player for, for, the, for whatever paltry amount that you're offering. And this is the asking price. And even at that, we mightn't even sell. Yeah.
0: And uh, at the end of the day, I mean, as much as I hate football revolving around money, we have the money. We don't need 80 million quid at Villa. Um, The question is more who's willing to come and play for Villa. And there are lots of people who are willing to come and play in the Premier League, but there are no replacements on a par with Grealish who are willing to rock up at Villa Park and take his place. And it it really is that straightforward. And it's going to be ongoing the whole summer. There's no doubt about it. But I'll tell you what, last night might mean something. We might get Ben Rama. That could be interesting. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah, that
0: that would do some damage. I think. I had a we good were...
1: laugh at Dean Smith last night. The way that he was almost giddy talking about Ben Rama. he couldn't hide it that he likes the yeah. player, who really wants to sign him, and and that they lost. And that he was good. <laughs> like, it was the most telegraphed. I'm putting a bid in for Ben Rama, You know, last night that I've ever seen. Yeah. So
0: hopefully at the end of that didn't we with United it was completely the opposite side of it it's like oh no they haven't gone down now we have to panic about not getting gruelish exactly <laughs> yeah. but the best way football is now isn't it it's what can you do really
1: absolutely absolutely and uh yeah I suppose now I'm sitting here saying that no Uh, you're not getting greenish for 80 million and i could be speaking out there at the side of my mouth saying well we didn't get ben rama but he wasn't worth 28 million he wasn't so that's the fickleness of football fans i suppose uh, i suppose from that point of view so we move on towards the attack and what i think is fair enough to say was a much maligned area over the course of the year we had three incumbents that really played an awful lot of the year up there we had Jack Grealish to play up there. We had India Indiana Vasilev, but I don't think I'm going to count those, obviously, for obvious reasons in this no. uh, in this synopsis. You've given the attack a three out of ten, and you've you've gotten brackets probably generous there as well. And I think that is fair. And um, uh, before I go on and and, and I get you to g- give me your thoughts on it, this is something that definitely uh, I have been done a lot of soul searching and thinking about this this attack. I myself feel that maybe i was a bit too high on Samata for what he did because the stats don't back up that he played pretty well at all put in a lot of effort and that's where my over optimism comes from and um i think that i got wesley just about right i think in my thought process and when we lost wesley we didn't really know what we would missed until we had lost it uh the statistics were actually pretty decent for wesley um in 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 areas that you would like, but once again, he had no help. He had zero help over the course of the year. It was him or no one that was going to play for play up front for Villa, and and I think that's what he fell fell victim of. Um, what are your views on it? Uh, what were your, what are your views on the attack? I'd be interested to hear.
0: Um, I think it was a recruitment error ultimately, wasn't it? I mean, hmm. signing. We've relied on three different strikers through the season, right? I mean none of them have a relevant amount of premier league experience um two of them came from the belgian league and i don't want to put down the belgian league but being competitive in the belgian league is a different thing to being competitive when you're playing teams like liverpool and man united and so on every every week um i mean davis is okay but davis for me is a number 10 davis is never going to score a lot of goals and to have him leading the line on his own You can talk about him holding up the ball all you like, but he's never going to score more than five goals a season. And for a striker, that's not good enough, in my opinion. Um, Wesley, I've got a bit of time for. I think he was coming together. It was always going to take a little while. And uh, there was a lot of potential starting to kind of shine through. Um, I hear a lot of arguments in favour of Samata. He works hard. Davis works hard. I'll give them both that. But my God, Samata, the end product is shocking, isn't it? I mean. I think, 29% of shots on target. And if, you know, we've got limited opportunities, I mean, if, why did we not go out and buy someone with Premier League experience for 10 or 12 minutes? I mean, we could have got Danny Ings for not much more at the start of the season. Yeah. Um, when you look at it like, you know, Danny Ings would have scored 15 goals and we'd have been nowhere near relegation. So, yeah. um, somebody, needs to, somebody needs to be brought in. I'm all for Wesley getting another go, but somebody needs to be brought in who's going to hit the net and Samata and Davis are not it for
1: me. Um. I I don't think anyone would disagree. I I, I think that I think that that's a very agreeable take to have. Uh, I think we will hold on to Wesley. I actually I think we hold on to all three potentially, and and maybe get Keenan Davis re-upped and extend his contract by maybe two years. Maybe get him out on loan and see. Um, I was a big yeah. proponent of maybe playing Keenan Davis on the right wing. I know he wouldn't have had the crossing ability, but we could you could see that. Um, you know when Jack was crossing down he was getting crosses in but a lot of the time that we crossed from the left was from the byline and it went very much so back post whereas when yep. we were crossing from the right hand side there were deeper crosses from from El Mohammedi from um from Gilbert and they were kind of more, uh, they were whipped in and and that's where Trezeguet got a couple of his goals. So they were back posts as well, but it was more, there was more of an option that if it dropped short, that there was going to be a striker there. But I don't think that option was ever really there from the left-hand side. So I was all for paying Dean and Davis there. There's something there with Davis, you know, the effort and the ability that he gives. Yes, the goal scoring is a problem, not scoring since 2018 against Baird. But... Um, He's he's still a young kid and, and I think we do hold yeah. on to him and immediately I hope that we manage his progression a small bit better through, you know, maybe a loan, uh, I, something along those lines and, and get his confidence up. Who would be your, I suppose, it's a much maligned area and you're given 60 million to go out and try and find someone in the morning?
0: Um,
1: bring to the table.
0: I think if we're going to go dreamland about it, I'd like Tammy Abraham back. Uh, I think he's been even better for Chelsea than he was for us. And they've just gone out and spent a hell of a lot of money on the striker. So maybe it's Mm -hmm. not completely beyond the realms of possibility. Um, Beyond that, I mean, it's really difficult to get an established top tier striker to move to you. It's, It's that simple. I mean, you've got to be looking at Bournemouth, maybe Josh King, good footballer. Not a 60 million quid footballer, perhaps, but he'd definitely score some goals.
1: Dan, uh, Bardell, Dan Bardell in the Villa View will like you for that one. He's campaigning for Josh King. <laughs> uh,
0: I, I like King because he reminds me a little bit of a Bondahore at his peak. He runs at people, he sneaks in and kind of nudges goals in off crosses from three yards out. And, you know, that's the kind of player we need. Um, I was big in for Piacek, the, the yes. lad who ended up at Berlin. I would have loved him because uh, he's exactly that kind of player he's a six-yard box ball ends up in the net type of striker doesn't do a whole lot else but what else do you want out of a striker It's exactly the problem we have at the moment um i don't think Piacek will come because he went he moved in january but somebody along those lines would would work for me
1: no I've got a I've got an alternative view on the fact he moved in January. I think he moved in January to free up funds for AC Milan. Heart of Berlin didn't exactly pull up trees. They they didn't get where they needed to in the in the German Bundesliga, and yeah. um they are historically a club that isn't isn't massively funded. I suppose to to great deal because they're. It, it's a strange one. They should be obviously being in in Berlin, the capital of of Germany, and and uh, they they don't really tend to get the the the, the wads of cash like other clubs in, in Germany. I think he's there for the take, and I think if you come in, you offer eight to ten million more than they bought for him in January. That he's yours, and he's exactly the type of player I would think would work well in a Dean Smith um, offense. Because my own personal piece was that I wanted to bring in a young uh, a young you know, uh, firecracker of a player, and then pair him up with Eden Jacob. I think Eden Jacob would absolutely. Obviously, look, he's thirty-four years yeah. of age. I'm not saying that we're going to build the club around him or bring Zero. a guy in. Exactly. Look, he's a proven commodity. He's a proven uh, player in the Premier League. He's scoring goals for fun out in Italy. He's. Um, he's. He, I think he is what we need. You surround him with speed, as I say, because we are going to have overhaul in the wingers position. Um, yep. So you bring in Dzeko, you bring in a young player to play behind him. You have Wesley. That's a good stable of three strikers. And then you, you upgrade the wingers and, and basically get them to play in around Jekyll or someone. But Piatek is probably in Jekyll. Well, it's not probably. He he kind of is in Jekyll style in a younger body. Yeah. So that for me is a good call. I think that is a good Yeah. Call. Um-
0: I actually there's a lot of stuff going around now about Origi off Liverpool as well. And you know what? I don't think that's a bad signing. I I mean I, I know he's not the greatest striker in the world, but he puts the ball in the net. It's as simple as that, really.
1: A lot of people were complaining about his four goals last season, but I think it was like four goals from seven hundred minutes of play. So he played very sparingly last year. You know, he didn't even play ten ga- ten full games. And um, also he gives you the opportunity to play him on the right wing because he played an awful lot of last year was when he came on that Salah actually moved into the center. He would have came on for maybe Firmino or someone like that and Salah would have moved into the center and he would have played off the right wing as well. So there he gives you that kind of tactical fluidity as well that you don't need to have. It doesn't need to be a like for like with him for, for Wesley and him that he can come on and they can play Wesley up front as well. And obviously, look, we're we're probably overlooking the fact that we've got one of the best sixteen-year-old strikers in the, in yeah, in England, that Louis Barry. Yeah, and, and Vasilev. Do you do you know much about Louis Barry? I obviously look. I I remember hearing his name when he signed for Barcelona, um. But then when his name came up to sign for Villa, and he was a Villa fan, you know, we paid a pretty decent chunk of change for him. We paid like three and a half million, I think, for him. You know, so. Yeah.
0: I've never seen the guy play. I'm going entirely off what people say, um, you know, apart from the odd YouTube clip, and that's always a, a nonsense. That's always just a, uh, um, I mean, he sounds like people seriously rate him. I mean, do you want to be throwing in a 16-year-old? He's the kind of player that maybe give him a few cup games to start with, but I don't know. I mean, definitely, I want to see him play a bit of football. There's enough hype around him that there's got to be something going on there. Uh, I would like to see him given a chance.
1: Yeah, I think, and I think we will see him. I think you know, cup games. United didn't exactly feel confident in trying in Rashford when they did, and he's he he took to it like a duck to water. Same with Mason Greenwood; didn't really want to throw him in when they did, but necessity was was the mother of all invention in that in that particular instance. And and you know, I know it wasn't. I wasn't a big fan of throwing him in during the run in last year, uh, just because it could have been like with no crowds there and stuff like that. It might have been a good opportunity for him, but. You know, we've been vindicated. I think Philip been vindicated in that aspect that they didn't do it, but yeah. let him grow from a position of strength, let him come on for the last 10, 15, 20 minutes of game feet his way and start him for the first league Cup game of the season, and then see what he can do because like 16 is it is young. There's very few strikers that come in and get and bag enough goals at 16 to be a fixture. You've only really got like likeone, Pele. <laughs> you know, we're talking about decent, decent strikers here, like you know, And while everybody is all about Louis Barry. We don't know if he's anywhere close to a Michael Owen or Robbie Fowler, uh, a Pele, a a Messi, uh, any of these kids that are there uh, that that we know have gone on to have longevity. I'd prefer to have Louis Barry come on as a 19, 20-year-old and have longevity, 10 years with Aston Villa, and to come on as a 16-year-old and flame out at 24.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it would be fun to find out anyway, wouldn't it? But I mean, if if he comes on in front of the Holt in the last 20 minutes when we need a goal and somehow gets one in. He's going to be playing a hell of a lot more if he does that, isn't he? But it's a case of how it goes, I think.
1: Grealish cross onto Louis Barry's foot, back post versus Blues, fourth round of the the FA Cup. That's what we're looking for, isn't it? The Villa connection. Uh, That would be something fantastic.
0: Back uh, back when I was going to certainly every home game for a few seasons, we had a couple of lads. You probably remember them, Stefan Moore and Luke Moore. Yes. yeah. They, They looked like they were going to be really serious footballers, especially Luke. And uh, they've faded to obscurity. I mean, the two of them are, (laughs) they've done nothing much worth noting in their careers and uh, you don't want to do that to Barry either. So you're right, it is a balancing act. It's a question of how you work the whole thing out. Uh,
1: I I think Stephen Moore has a taxi company in uh, in Sally Hull at the moment. And Luke Moore, if I'm not mistaken, was playing with Toronto and came out of retirement to have a, a trial with Shamrock Rovers in the Irish League this year. I'm almost certain that he. Yeah, he last played for Toronto in 2016. Uh, he's only 34, but I think yeah. he came. I'm I'm certain actually. I am 100 percent certain. He came out of retirement uh, and had a trial with Shamrock Rovers uh, this year. So we could have seen him um, in Tallis Stadium this year playing in Ireland. That would have
0: been but, uh, that? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That would, be, would have been interesting. Yeah, he never really set the world alight. He only scored 42 goals in his uh, in his career, and you know his best ever time was with Aston Villa when he scored 14 in 87 but you know he pinged, pinged around the Premier League with West Brom with, with Swansea and went out to, to Turkey and, and then, to the, then to the MLS but uh, yeah yeah. I, as I said I'd much prefer to have a fully cooked Louis Barry than to have an undercooked Louis Barry that we overplay and then develops muscular injuries or you know maybe goes into his body too quickly because that can happen like just see Michael Owen the way he's, 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 uh, his career kind of f- flamed out because of hamstring injuries and just too yeah. much load on a body too young.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the word seems to be that he's he's likely to be certainly more effective than any striker we have now. But I, I guess it's a case of wait and see, isn't it? It's You can't rush these things.
1: I think yeah. the key phrase there is any striker we have now. I think that's yeah. <laughs> which which mightn't have been too hard in some parts during the year. Um yeah. I suppose just to kind of wrap it all in a bowl for, the, for, the, for how you viewed the season itself. Obviously, we had a man at the helm. We've spoken about Villa fans. We've spoken about Grealish and, and Louis Barry, the Villa connection. But it all starts at the top. And we've got a Villa man over the team as well in Dean Smith. What's your rating on Dean Smith for the year? And what your, What's your synopsis and how you think he, he uh, performed his duties?
0: Um, I have mixed feelings about Dean Smith. I mean, it's great to have a guy with such a fantastic history with the club in charge. Um, I'm certainly not by any means on the get rid of him kind of bandwagon. Um, My main concerns, apart from what I've already said about the defence, would be a lack of tactical flexibility, really. Uh, When we're a goal down with 20 minutes to go, you don't see Villa do a great deal different. We just kind Mm -hmm. of play the same way most games. And that concerns me a little bit. Um, I'd hesitate to condemn him completely for it because I think there's a lack of options. And when there's a lack of options, there's a limit to what you can really do. Uh, in those kind of situations. I mean, there's nobody on our bench who you'd think they're going to turn a game at the moment. So I think the jury's still out on Smith. I mean, we have a tendency perhaps as Villa fans to go, well, we were a really, really big club for a long time. We should be doing better than this. Um, We have to kind of view it in the context if we only just scraped into the Premier League and finished fifth. Um, Staying up is not an insignificant achievement, so I'll give him that one. Maybe I'm being a little bit mean on, on some of the positions given we did finish seventeenth and most of us would have taken it. But we'll see. We'll give him another year for sure.
1: Yeah, I'm 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 all on giving him another year. I actually I think he I think <laughs> You know he was proven right at the end. He was able yeah. to get. He was able to to dig his heels in. When the what I like about Dean Smith is when the chips are down, when he's back against the wall, back is against the wall, and whatever other analogy you can think of. But basically, the one that always kind of comes to mind is when the shit hits the fan, when we absolutely have to win or get a result he has come up trumps for this club every single time when we had to yep. get, when we had to go on, we had to go on a 10 match winning spree in the championship he found a way to go on a 10 match winning spree When we had yep. to get eight points what was it eight points out of, out of 12 we had to just literally and that was to have any chance of staying up being seven points down he found a way to do it yes yep. maybe it's taken him a while to get into his stride but um there is definitely a lot to be said for that. And obviously, look, he's learning a new league. Uh, he would never have faced players like Kevin De Bruyne, like Mo Salah and all those before. Uh, even, even the likes of Wilfred Zaha are, uh, you know, talking about teams in the middle of the, middle of the league. You know, like there's, there's a, those teams have a lot of good players. Um, yeah. Learning how to play with those styles. And, and, and I think he'd be a lot more kind of, um, I suppose, cuter to the situation next year as, as, as time goes on. I would be hoping he would be anyway.
0: Yeah, and uh, you'd think that having clearly found a tactic that works towards the end, that that might be carried into next season. So I think it's reasonable to assume that we'll get more results out of higher-placed clubs next year. I mean, I don't think any Villa fans are expecting much against Liverpool, City, so on. But, I mean, to get nothing until the very late stages of the season out of anyone in the top half is a little bit concerning. And I can't see it going that way again next year. I mean if we play the way we did in the last six or eight games, the six or eight is probably overstating it, the last five maybe, then we certainly shouldn't have that problem again. But uh, we will see.
1: We'll see. Exactly, exactly. It's all to be written for next year and I think recruitment is going to have a a lot of bearing on that. Before I let you go James I did mention at the start of the at the start of the podcast that you have published a book and it's a really interesting book and, and I want to talk to you a small bit on that it's about knifa which is it's called knifa football for the forgotten and essentially what it is it's the untold of uh, story of football's alternative world cup for smaller nations principalities and so on
0: yeah, it, it it
1: you know I it looks like a fantastic. Read. You want to give us a synopsis of it because there's some really exotic names in there, and, and it seems like you had you must have had a lot of fun researching it.
0: Yeah, I mean, as much as I'm a Villa fan, my, I'm also very very interested in niche football. I suppose lower league stuff and uh, people who get opportunities perhaps out of things that uh that don't come from professional football that come from a different kind of. Back, backdrop so what the book is about is um in 2018 there was a tournament for unrecognized countries which essentially means places that um fifa don't accept belong within national football like uh northern cyprus and tibet and tuvalu and these kind of countries um and they they played out a 16 team kind of mini world cup in london and it's based around that um about the football side but also about the politics behind it so how do you organize a Tibetan football team, given the, the Chinese object to the existence of Tibet? Or uh, if you live in northern Cyprus, you're supposed to play for the Turkish national team, but northern Cypriots mm. don't consider themselves to be Turkish. So what's the story behind these guys going out and playing, even though they're banned from all UEFA competition? And they have a league, but they're, they're banned from UEFA competition. They're banned from FIFA competition. Um, any club that goes to play in northern Cyprus runs the risk of being banned from their own domestic competition. So there's a real embargo on these kind of uh, situations and some of the stories behind these clubs are, well, they're not really clubs, I suppose, but these entities, uh, they're really quite surreal. Um, Some people were arrested for trying to form the teams, um, had to make up teams entirely out of expat players because to take them from the actual region would cause political turmoil. Uh, So it's a football book, but it's, it's about, uh, in a way, I suppose, identity politics and, the idea of what is a, a nation as well as that it's so, a real world
1: <laughs> the, the, there's a really you know point, fun, I was going to call it funny but it, when I say funny I mean kind of peculiar um, yeah. you got your shoelaces burned by some Hungarian ultras
0: yeah um, <laughs> but, I mean, Hungary used to have a massive empire as we know, and uh, that spilled over into modern day Ukraine and Romania and um, various different places and these, uh, these teams now form Hungarian national teams, for want of a better way of putting it, based within Romania and Ukraine, and they're probably some of the best teams in kanifa actually. And uh, they were passionately followed in London, partly by, I suppose you could say, quite hardcore nationalist Hungarians, Auburn <laughs> um, types. Mm. And... Uh, I was, you know, trying to interact with people whether I personally agree with their politics or not and kind of find out what was going on. So uh, I was watching um a a team called Zakeli who are the uh Hungarian Ultra team in a region of Romania. And uh, they yeah, they they were playing uh, somebody not very good, Matabella Land, I think, is Zimbabwe inside, and uh, they turned up with kind of two or three hundred ultras in Harangi borough <laughs> in London. And I'm like kind of try to talk to them, you know, what's going on? What are you all doing here? Tell me the story behind all of this. And one of them's in quite stunted English telling me what's going on with Sakeliland and the other one's kind of knelt down at my feet, slowly burning my shoelaces off so he can uh, attach his flag to the side of the pitch. So it was, (laughs) it was, there was nothing, (laughs) nothing violent or aggressive about it. It was just a a bit of comedy from his point of view. And you know what? I was stood there thinking this will be a great little bit of the book. I'll just let him carry on.
1: (laughs) <laughs> that is amazing, yeah, and and I'm sure, like looking at, at a lot of other things that that are in the book, there's there's some really kind of niche stories there that you, you just won't hear anywhere else. And and look, um, I don't stand to gain financially or anything from the book, but I'll definitely be be ordering a copy. Where where can we get the book? Because as I say, this is a selfish piece for me. Is it completely sold out, or is it still available?
0: Um, the hard copies now, are because dire- it, it came out about a year ago, um, mm-hmm. they're directly from a company called Lulu. Um, if you go on my website on hendicotwriting.com, uh-huh. there's a big picture on the right-hand side of what the front cover looks like. And it's got all the ordering options on there. Um, it's on Kindle, which is probably the easiest way, but the hard copies are, uh, are through the publisher now. I did have a stack of about 200 of them in my living room, but they're all they're all gone now.
1: <laughs> well... Uh, Lulu printing are just going to be sending one here to go with me because I've just uh, I've just got in there pay with PayPal so uh, that's I'm, I'm really going to enjoy reading that because as I say uh, there's I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of that story that I won't hear anywhere else and, and and I suppose that like I might you may never hear these countries ever again. Uh, you know, yes. but it's it, it almost brings in an element, even though it's a completely and utterly real world situation that you were in. It brings in an element of fantasy. So I would be reading this with my Lord of the Rings hat on as well, going, "These countries are completely made up," you know. Yeah. But knowing that they actually aren't, but it's it, it's it's going to be yeah. I'm really I'm really really looking forward to that. And I've-
0: yeah, it's a strange world. I mean, some of them genuinely do feel a bit made up, whereas other one, I mean. They're going to kill me for saying this, but there's a there's one called Cascadia, which is basically the west coast of the US, Um, and they've had a a minor separatist movement. It's borderline politically irrelevant for the last thirty or forty years. It's kind of a hippie save our forests type thing, mm -hmm. Um, and it spreads over into uh, southwest Canada. So they've got like a southwest Canadian, northwest US side which is a bit spoofy in my opinion. But um, at, the other, at the other extreme, you have got um, Tuvalu, who are a UN recognised country and they have a very long standing uh, argument with FIFA about being allowed in. And FIFA is basically saying, look, you're, you're, the only pitch on your entire island is also your airport. Um, <laughs> we're just not letting you play international football. But I mean, that's not actually what FIFA rules say FIFA rules say if you're a nation you're allowed to play so they're letting in Gibraltar they're letting in you know and Gibraltar
1: talking Rangers. about their, their pitches being on airports Gibraltar's landing strip for the airport is right beside the stadium Ireland played Gibraltar oh, earlier yeah. on this year and literally the commentators had to stop at certain periods because the noise of the planes coming in and taking yeah. off was was so so great
0: yeah so it's a surreal world I mean it it kind of spans from the from the sublime to the ridiculous i suppose
1: <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and uh you know I'm, re- I'm really looking forward to getting stuck into that book you know and and getting to read it uh, as as the next few days go on james thank you so much i know we're caught for time constraints at the moment but like this has been a fantastic conversation really really enjoyed every minute of it um well, me not at all. Any time, any time. I, I, I'm, I'm delighted that you came on. Want to plug any of your stuff there? We give a good good plug to the book and stuff. Any other writing that you have that, coming out that, that you feel that people might be interested in?
0: Um, not at the moment, to be honest. I mean, there's not a lot going on. A lot of my writings based on sport, music, travel, and you know, there's none of that at the moment. So, I'm uh, at the moment, I'm kind of tottering along to Leinster senior league games and watching, <laughs> watching some of that. That's that's my evenings and. Uh, Nothing much more to say, really.
1: Yeah, well, as I say, everybody get following James on I'm after losing your Twitter handle, I had it up here for to be a moment to go. Just my name, James Handicott At James Handicott, you'll find him he's kind, you're kind of like me, there's only, whenever I look up Neil Dunworth, I'm the only one that really shows up it's not the most common name in the world so maybe there's yeah. only one James Handicott as well but it, uh, you'll know who it is because there's his, uh, his um, on his page, he's got Goats Up Trees so um, that's how you'll know that you've gotten the right guy, there's Goats Up Trees trees as his banner on uh, <laughs> <and> his Twitter <laughs> page. <laughs> James thank you so much for popping on and as I say everybody uh, go find James at James Hendicott and any of his writing at hendicottwriting.com and that book again is Kanifa Football for the Forgotten and uh, as James mentioned there you can find it on uh, uh, there's a link in there to purchase it and it's actually to be honest with you James it's very reasonably priced for I think the amount of enjoyment I'm going to get out of it Trying to, even trying to pronounce some of the some of the names of the countries and it is going to be fantastic um, So uh, so that is something as well there guys so, thanks uh, everybody for listening. As I say, you can follow James once again at James Hendicott uh, on Twitter, you know, any of his writing at hendicottwriting.com. You can follow us here on at Love McGraw Pod. Yeah, it's Love McGraw Pod. I've changed my handle recently because everyone was giving out to me that the last one was too difficult to remember, yet I can't remember the new one. So, uh, there's an oxymoron and that somewhere, and I think I'm the moron. Um, But at Love McGrath Pod You can also find the podcast at any podcast platform That you listen to Whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spreakers uh, Google Podcast, Anything, anywhere you can find it And thank you so much to everybody for listening And um, We're going to try and come back to you again Later on in the week uh, With some more content as well And in the meantime guys Thank you so much for listening And up the villa